Welcome, welcome, welcome to Armchair Expert. I'm Dak Shepard. I'm joined by the Emmy-nominated Monsoon Monica. Hello. Hello. Today we have Juliet Lewis, and Juliet Lewis, of course, is an actress and a singer. She's also an Academy Award nominee. Mm. Like you, she's an Emmy Award <laughs> nominee and a Golden Globe nominee. She was in Natural Born Killers, Kate Fear, What's Eating Gilbert Grape, From Dust Till Dawn, California, one of my favorite all-time movies. My boyfriend's so sexy in that movie. Ooh. Christmas Vacation, I watch it every single year. Too Young to Die, and The Basketball Diaries. She is currently on... I know this much is true on HBO, and I have since seen it, and she is legitimately phenomenal. Chris and I were going crazy with how brilliant she is in this thing, rewinding her scenes. I mean, oh. she's tremendous in it. So please enjoy Miss Juliet Lewis. We are supported by Squarespace. Guys, we have a Squarespace website that's just gorgeous. That Wobby Wob, you uh, you built that yourself using all the templates, yeah? I sure did. Yeah, easy peasy? So easy. Well, the best part about Squarespace is it's an all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. You can get discovered fast with integrated, optimized SEO tools, and you can choose from professionally curated layouts and styling options with Squarespace Blueprint. Plus, you can kickstart or update written content on any website, product description, or email with Squarespace AI. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial and save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain with the code DAX. We are supported by Ollie. I love Ollie. Yeah, they're delicious, aren't they? Yeah, it's kind of annoying because I want to eat more. Yeah, well, yes, that is the only downside of Ollie is you want to eat the whole jar. Now, as you all know, I have kids, and that means it's always about them. But look, I need some support too, and that's where Ollie comes in. My mom uses Ollie. She does. Yeah, and she has it out on the kitchen table so she won't forget. Oh, sure. So it's like a Stay permanent cool. decoration. <laughs> yeah. Well, in the same way, my Ollie sleep aid is on the nightstand next to my bed. So it too is a permanent There you fixture. go. So this year, I'm doing wellness on my own terms, and so can you with delicious vitamins and supplements from Ollie. Go to Ollie.com, O-L-L-Y.com to discover the sleep, mood, and multivitamin supplements we take every day and get 15% off your first order by using the code SPOTIFY15. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. He's an armchair expert. He's an armchair expert. He's an armchair expert. Hi. I'm going to just say you and I are a little bit similar in fun ways, as I've learned. Do, do you fluctuate between, oh, fuck, this is never going to end, and, oh, fuck, this is going to end next week, and I'm going to miss it? Well, for the first time, I just had the oh shit, actually, you're not going to have all this free time again to do everything you needed to do. Of course not. But no, the highs and lows of my soul have been exacerbated by this experience. I would imagine everybody, but some people might be more even keeled. I'm not an even keeled person, sadly. That's why I like you though. Thanks. <laughs> I always wonder, doing this podcast has been a fun experiment and who remembers what, but do you remember hanging with me? You can say no. By the way, no pressure, no yeah. pressure. Well, at Ethan's, wasn't it at a lunch? We had lunch or you came over to their house, Dinner. Right? Yep, I came over for dinner. Yeah. I and we had a dinner. 
I had a million questions for you. Mind you, this was this was like probably 13 years ago, yes. I would say. Yeah. Yeah, because I think Ethan and I had just done Without a Paddle, and we started hanging out, and, and it was in Glendale in the hills somewhere. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I was like, I played it cool for the first like 15 minutes of the dinner, uh-huh. and then I was like, how good of a kisser is Brad Pitt? <laughs> oh, God. Do you yes. recall this? I was just obsessed with the notion that you had kissed my number one dreamboat. Even you. How cute. I did. <laughs> that is so funny. And you were like, oh, yeah, he's a great kisser. You know, but you know, people are just people and it's not, you know, as big of it. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I tried to take down the objectification of a fellow human being. Yes, that, that is my style. That is my style. We're in it. Are we we're happening? You just oh, yeah. Are you in. recording? We're recording. Are you recording? We're all recording. Actually, the show I just did, the Mark Ruffalo show that I'm doing press stuff for, the director, I never had this happen, but much like how we just started this interview where you're just flowing, yeah, he yeah, yeah. removed action and cut. So oh. you would, it was a radical experience I didn't know, because at first when he said, I don't say action and cut, you know, and you don't know someone, you're like, oh, God, what is this pretentious uh, bullshit? (laughs) This Uh is Derek C. in France, by the way. He's brilliant and a revelation to me. But anyway, you come into set, they mic you, they zhuzh your hair, da-da-da-da, and then you just open the door, and there you are in the scene And you you keep doing like that, and then it becomes this flow. It was like this whole awesome idea. I love that. A couple times, I I directed a movie, and I and I put my sister in it, and it was her first movie. Hold on, what was your movie you directed? That's very cool. I directed a movie called Hit and Run, and then I directed Chips, and then I directed this other movie called um, Brothers Justice. Brothers Justice. (laughs) Thank you, thank you. But I used my sister, and she'd never been Uh, in a movie, so I I had codes for the camera guys. Yeah. Which was like, let's get set. But that really was like action. And then I would just kind of talk to her. By the way, not that she didn't need it. She was brilliant in it. It was just something I thought would be helpful to her. Yeah. And then we just kind of would talk and blah, 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 blah. And then I'd be like, okay, that was fucking awesome. And she's like, what? And I'm like, yeah, we did it. We got it. That's great, Dax, that you knew to do that. Anyway, it's cool. Have you ever seen a David O. Russell set? I visited Bradley one time and I guess, Silver Lining Playbook. And he was just like, and it was wild to see it happening to De Niro, right? Where it's just like, he's just going like, no, 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 you're uncomfortable. You need to stand up. Where are you? Why, like, just walk down the hall. And no one's set for him to leave the room or walk down a hall or stairs, but just everyone's just got to fucking start doing it because he's just this crazy experiment. And that's his way. Some actors are so stuck in their academia or how whatever their training is. I'm not one of those. So I actually would appreciate that style maybe. Yeah. I mean, it depends. I've had a person who is not experienced cut in the middle of while I was finding something. And I was like, oh, no. You <laughs> no, I didn't say this, but inside I was uh, yeah, like, yeah. dude, you just interrupted. We could have stumbled into something. Anyway. That, yeah, it might have been the best thing I did all day. And exactly. Now I we can't. don't know. The thing is, like, being a creative personality, we are, I think, naturally obsessive. It mm. can be self-defeating. 
uh, you're also self-aggrandizing. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. You're just <laughs> a narcissist, really, with all the many. <laughs> horrifyingly so, but because yeah. it's a business of rejection, you're not shit or you're this. You're always trying to prove yourself. So with age and experience, some jobs I learned, I was like, okay, it's, it's just a job. Yeah, yeah. So you do that, and then the other side is like, no, we're, we're trying to reach the holy grail, which is greatness, or I call it transcendence. Yeah. Can I just start by just saying, and I think I told you this at the dinner, I just like you a lot. I've always liked how nonconformist you at least appeared to be to me. Thanks. I thought you weren't the conventional institutional choices for things. The other person I felt that way about when I was young was Nicolas Cage, where I was just like, oh, yeah, I don't know what this motherfucker is going to do. Um, what's going to happen? I just yeah. loved the kind of punk rockness of it. And it's yeah. hard for the punk rockness to invade an institution like Hollywood. And I felt like you did. Thank you. And if I could cut that and put it to a tape. <laughs> that for a little motivational uh, kickstart to a lot well, of days. Well, this is recorded, so we'll get it you a recorded. copy. It is recorded, yeah. You, you, you could always listen. <laughs> yes, nonconformist is what I gravitate to. I remember when you came on the scene and you're like, who is this fearless person? Because you would, do, what's the show? And you Honk. would, and you would yeah. put yourself in all these scenarios, like that's a whole other radical thing because you're not only you're acting convincing, but you're playing with real life uh, emotion. <laughs> I haven't since had a similar experience, by yeah. the way, which was like, that was the first thing I ever got hired to do. Yeah, because how old yeah. are you? That's some daredevil shit. And as a man, <laughs> that's where you're like, ah, you could get punched in the face. I mean, these, these are the stakes. Thank you for pointing that out because I do think like it, throughout the audition process of that, it came, there came to be a point where there were many people everyone liked in the studio, liked certain people and like Ashton liked certain people. And one of the, the one reasons I, I broke through is that Ashton was like, I, I don't think he cares if he gets punched in the face. Like, <laughs> yeah. I think he's, he's totally open to that and I think he'd even like it. Uh, <laughs> so let's go with him. <laughs> so, but um, <laughs> like, were you just born unique or is there some childhood stuff that led you? Isn't it funny? Nothing's funny uh, with the time we're in, but the, uh, <laughs> what I'm about to say, it's funny that the self-revelation or the unearthing, unpacking your childhood, those first 10 years of life, what do they say, little kids? The first five years, really. Oh. Yes. And all that attachment, neglect, or if you don't get well, all the stuff. What I'm getting at is I, I've been learning today, I'm almost going to be 47, of like survival skills that have become my job. You know, this uh -huh. ability to, you might call it disassociative, but I would live in my imagination. Also, my own experience with childhood Trauma made me, I think, very empathetic toward other people's pain and suffering. Yeah. Also made me want to fix it and heal and help. You're one of eight, right? I'm I mean, one of a million. No. <laughs> well, yeah, you're one of seven billion. But uh, Yeah, so both my parents were married several times. 
I grew up with a brother and a sister. A mom and dad divorced since I was two. And I have half brothers and sisters that we all have different levels of connectivity. And I always say I'm from a family of individuals. Right. The whole reason I even got to have dinner with you is Brandy, your sister, who I fucking love. If Ethan yeah. hadn't snatched her up, I think I would have tried to get her myself. <laughs> Your awesome. wife is so cool, by the way, because already I just think it's so wonderful <laughs> when people can mutually admire people of the opposite sex and blah, blah, blah. And we're not rigid and filled with a fear about it. Well, it'd just be a lie. She's horny for a bunch of people. I'm horny okay. for a bunch of people. It doesn't mean <laughs> that we're going to go do anything. It just Nothing. means that we're not lying. Yeah, okay, yeah. great. <laughs> right. So Brandy, my sister, is amazing. And to be with Ethan, who, again, is one of my favorite people I've ever met. And to make that motherfucker walk the line, I can't imagine someone strong enough to do that in the best That's way. sweet. Yeah. So I can see, yeah, she's a very individualistic person. And you are, too. That's an interesting childhood. But that's so sweet. Yes, Ethan Suplee, my brother-in-law, is doing amazing things with his podcast, American Glutton. He has a podcast. Yes, Dax, get into it. <laughs> you got to listen, but it's all things health, motivation, transform it, you know, uh, mind, body, soul connection. But it's really about our eating habits. Every guest has a relationship to their health. And, you know, and of course, he has a journey of uh, losing oh, weight, gaining weight. One of the most weight. miraculous. Yeah. So anyway, he's doing that. My sister is one of my best friends. Everything you're saying about her, like she... Just because I got known for things in movies, I'm not the great one, you know what I mean? She's just a remarkable person. Anyway, when I talked about survival, things that we all develop, I'm also in gratitude because I have two parents who gave me a lot of freedom. My problem was I had two artists, very pro-art. That's where you get this banana cake person. Personality, yeah. very like... And I didn't have like the gender, be pretty, and all the weird stereotypes of women. Your mom's a graphic designer and your dad was an actor? Yes. My dad was a character actor. And he came uh, into the world of acting late in life, middle age, like 40 or 30, wow. 35. That's brave. Totally brave. And had a, a bit of success as a character actor. And my mom full-time mom and could have been an artist. So went to Cooper Union, where now my niece is going. So that's kind of a beautiful thing. Yeah. yeah. You also had a ton of independence, right? Because you started acting really young and you were emancipated at 14, right? Yeah. E emancipation is a big confusion for people way early on when I Ever I did interviews when I was like 19 and I feel like people are conditioned now and they understood I was not one of these people. I was in my head. I was great to be a creative person. It was great to be anonymous. I loved yeah. people watching. I was not meant to be famous because it I imploded. So right. my my point is the, the journalists would be like, you're emancipated and try to dig into my parent world. What they didn't understand is when you were a young actor, my parents helped me get emancipated. It was a legal right. thing to put on paper so that when you're hiring, you hire the emancipated minor over the 
non-emancipated. And so even though that's weird. So that you can work over eight hours. So you can work over eight hours. And so even though that's weird, because still you're like, wow, Julia, but you're 14 working. (laughs) Well, I was set to lead a criminal path. I was very set up to live a wild, very scary, dysfunctional life potentially. And acting actually gave me a sense of focus work ethic. Uh I could create stories and drama. You know, it had a place to go. So when my dad, when I said, oh, I'm interested in this line of work because he did it, it made it very plausible. Yeah, yeah. Then they helped me. They're both really good at helping if you had dreams or anything of artistic nature. And then the funny story is like, yes, and then trouble caught up with me uh, later. (laughs) Sure, sure. And by the way, I completely relate to you in that had I not done this, I would be in jail. That was definitely where I was heading. You still got to handle whatever that was, the penchant for danger or being bananas, for lack of an eloquent <laughs> word. Yeah, we got to do the work. But yes, for a moment there, like to this day, I have a really strong work ethic and discipline, and I really thrive with a schedule. <laughs> so it's learning how to do life. Sure, you've had to to do this many times as I've had to do it many times. There's been like periods where my identity was X, Y, or Z, like, oh, I'm a, I'm a movie actor. That's my identity. Yeah. Oh, okay, I'm not getting hired for movies anymore. Oh, okay, I'm a TV actor. Oh, well, I'm a director now and blah, blah, blah. By the way, none of those things should be my identity. Uh, so when they go away, I shouldn't like collapse and what am I? Yeah. So, so it's really like purpose, right? It's like finding purpose. Yes. What you're saying is so key because it's also when you do feel purposeless, then it becomes how do I get motivated? And that's where I get into aging. You know, a lot of us are like, how do I find that energy that we once had when we were younger? But it's purpose. And it's funny. It's cyclical sometimes of like reigniting a purpose you didn't know was dormant. Nothing makes me happier than when I can help another achieve peace or happiness. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Service, service, service. That's the jam. It's the counterintuitive thing that... I feel better helping someone else because I'm not thinking about myself. I know. It's hard to imagine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but so in general on the show, we'll kind of go through your ride, which yours in particular is quite Dear. interesting because it happened very young. When I first came into the world for people, it was 1991. <laughs> for me, it was 89 Christmas Vacation. Oh, shit. There can't be a movie at this point that Chris and I have watched more than Christmas Vacation because we kick off Thanksgiving hits and we're like, when are we watching Christmas Vacation? Should we do it later in the day? Should we do it tomorrow on Friday? But it's going to happen. And then it's going to happen again mid-December. We're going to get itchy to watch it again. I I can't even have Christmas without that movie. I'm thinking so many things. This is the way the pinball mind works. So as an artist... You get known for usually what you first came out into the world. So there's literally like four movies people will list when they come up to say hello. Yeah. And then artists try to rebel like, no, but it's my current thing. And and you're almost in competition with your past. (laughs) Yes, yes. I think of Prince going, oh my God, I want to see Prince play Little Red Corvette. And beautiful ones. And remember, he he went through a whole thing. He was like, first of all, 
no, I'm Jehovah Witness. I'm not doing anything sexual. Uh, secondly, I'm going to fuck with your heads and do some jazz rendition of the songs you want to hear. I just think artists are funny. And yes, we're always trying to be and do our current work. But I am literally so touched that I I had no no part in it. It was a stroke of luck at 15 and Chevy Chase, there's like three people I can validate forever for handing me a career. And just to be a part of this holiday movie, you know what yeah. I mean? Like that oh, is, yeah. that is the sweetest thing. Yeah. Like you brought up punk a minute ago, right? And yes. I loved it. But that's not always been the case. There was the first eight years I was doing press junkets when I was in movies and they'd want to bring up punk. And I always felt like they were saying like, Oh, you're just a reality star. Right. You're not even and all you this can baggage get a chip. about it. Yeah. Yes. And I had a huge chip on my shoulder about it. And then at some point, I don't know what happened or why, but I was like, oh, I'm proud of punk. Why was I running from that? And now I'm so proud to have been in that. But boy, for eight or ten years I wasn't. And and yeah. what a what a waste of my eight or ten years that I could have been enjoying it. Hundred percent all about owning. The more of yourself you can claim, the more you can have grace and not compartmentalize or cut off who you were or this, that. But even natural born killers, I mean, there's so many things that I, I had resentment toward fame or the machine or the, the they that try to box you in. Right. That stuff was so hard for me to manage at 27, 8, 9, 30. Yeah. You were like 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22. I couldn't have made it through that. That's a lot of attention to get at that age, right? Yeah. Ugh, that little person. That was a trip. I actually took a break at 22 for like three, four years. And I thought I was done. I thought, I will do something else now. What precipitated the break? I just didn't know I was on a success pressure machine. I didn't know that's what was happening around me. You know, the agents right. and this and the manager. And I tried to get out of a movie wasn't doing well as a human being, as a little, <laughs> little person, I needed a break. Yeah. Now we're cultivating humanity in some of our industries. I mean, at least superficially, but yeah. you can if you're like, nah, he needs a break for two months, uh, maybe wait the schedule out, you know, change schedule. But this time it was a movie, it was a sequel to Terms of Endearment. I was on drugs and... <laughs> Sadly, <laughs> you're laughing. <laughs> Here's my defense. Hold on one second. Uh, I get okay. so pissed off. The way the rumors, all this. People thought I was on drugs actually before I was on drugs because that's oh. that's all they could think of. Oh, this thing's different. This personality's weird. Drugs, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah all my life lessons, I like to say, were very short and very extreme. What was your drug of choice? Mine was cocaine and, and Jack and Diet. I was a downer person, the kind you would have to detox from for sure. So right. I tried to get out of this movie and was threatened. The producer, a female producer, I'll not name her, threatened a lawsuit. For me, I like I felt like I died in this time period. I will spare you the details. 
And I look back and I tried to save myself in that moment and didn't know how to fight for myself. The job itself is one that's just riddled with fear. It's so tenuous whether a movie actually gets made. Yes. And even what does that mean? What is what has it got bought? And then what has it got greenlit? Until you're filming, and even if you're filming, it could go sideways. Like until that fucking thing is at the movie theater on Friday, there's just so many things that can pre prevent it from happening. So everyone is operating out of great fear, which yes. none of us are making awesome decisions when we're scared. So I do have some compassion, even for like the most monstrous people I've disliked in this business. You know, they're a symptom of the disease, maybe not the disease. hundred percent. And that was the one thing that I would buck against. I showed up at work. I was fine. I just, I didn't have people skills. So I didn't really know mm -hmm. how to talk, but I did my job great, but I was 18. Yeah. I'm overly aware of it for the actresses, which is like, wow, here's this five foot two young woman who has shown herself to be very good at acting and pretending she's someone else that is now asked to be basically a public speaker and a sale. Yes, a, a politician, a salesperson. There, there's such radically different skill sets. Totally it's different. a miracle that any actors can do both to begin with. Yes. But, but, but all of them are expected to be that politician, that salesperson at some point. Yes. That's the thing that you don't know. And I was terrible at in the early part of my coming out. I was a great sabotager of all the PR stuff. Like even in the clothes, I went to the thrift shop. I was sort of sabotaging photo shoots. What are, I don't understand this part of it. Now I say to my publicist, hey, I can't actually talk about myself for the whole day because right. I'll, I'll have a nervous <laughs> breakdown. So right, right. we can do four hours or whatever. Well, you slowly introduce boundaries into yes. what you can do, right? <laughs> I got to say, photo shoots are probably, if I had to say, the single most hated part of the entire experience yes. is a photo shoot. Yeah. I have this similar, when we're in the makeup and hair thing, you know, some women, men can focus on how they look for a long time. I don't actually want to think about it. To me, I find it inhibiting. And it's, unless you're creating a character, I don't really want to think about it that much. But do you think any of that part, I mean, because you were unconventional. Like, I, so the fact that your peers at that time had specific thing where you like, I'm not even playing that game. Here's what's funny is this idea even of beauty is, it's just never been my objective. And I find it limiting because that's not what's going to be lasting. It's got to be your moxie, your chutzpah, your, your yeah. stuff that sustains you. Because a lot of women, they get mired in the being desirable and sexy and all this shit. Yeah. And I like to actually disrupt that. Uh-huh. Were you born with that confidence or did you go, this isn't even a healthy road for me? Like, are you just that lucky that you're like, I don't give a fuck what I look about? Or are you like, I know that road's going to lead me to, it, to it, it is feeling funny. shitty. It is funny, isn't it? Because I have crippling self-doubt and all that stuff. It's just the looks thing. I had this sort of rejection of getting too hung up on it. I think it's a testament of my parents, I guess. That is a liberating thing, but it's not that I don't have it. I had body dysmorphic where I thought I yeah, was yeah. too skinny. I hated... See? Oh. So you think... This thing can go that, any way. Yeah. I, I hated being as little as I was when I was younger. I always wanted to be voluptuous. 
When I was representing my artist self, I could be cocky there. I, uh-huh. I could be self-preserving in that arena. And I don't know how or why that is. But as a, yeah. as a woman and as a human being, I have all the... Again, not to get salacious on you. I guess for me, if I were you and I was young and I was dating Brad Pitt, <laughs> literally the hottest yeah. human being to ever live, that might <laughs> have helped me at least go like, oh, why, why even fucking worry about shit? Uh, Brad Pitt likes me. This is what's funny about <laughs> mythology. And I'm going to segue actually into the the brilliance of why I'm here. The, I know this much is true because that character's looking back at their mythology or their history I'm forever tied to my first huge relationship who became one of the biggest movie stars of our time. But I always say to people, when we met, he was an unknown actor from Missouri. Well, you guys did a Lifetime movie together, right? Before, Before California. We were partners at that time when we both lost our anonymity, Mm -hmm. a lot of insecurity together as a couple, just young kids fumbling along in Los Angeles. But yeah, there was no, I'm dating so-and-so because he was a human being to me. Yes, yes, yes. We were both really young and fumbling along. Yeah, oh my God, getting famous as a couple. It was wild. Thelma Louise came out and then six months later, Cape Fear came out. Unreal, (laughs) unreal. It was funny. You were, what, were you 18 in Cape Fear? Yes. I think I was 19 when it came out. So 19 was when the the kind of world exploded. Yeah. Yeah, and you got nominated for an Academy Award and you got nominated for a Golden Globe. And you said it earlier when we first started, like you're not a big practitioner of some kind of homework approach to acting. And what seemed very obvious from Kate Fear was like, oh, this person's a phenom. You know, blowing De Niro off screen, not to make it competitive, but just that's a, that's a big undertaking to have those scenes with him and, and to, to, to be competent and to own the whole thing. It was, it's just hugely impressive. And it's no wonder people were super fascinated with you. Thank you. That's the juxtaposition of my personality, of many people's personality, the duality, because I came off as fiercely confident or aloof or don't give a shit. But I just didn't understand at that time what it meant when Marty, I remember him saying to me when we did that nine minute scene in the auditorium with De Niro. And he said to me, he goes, I don't know who to cut to. I don't know who to cut to. And it yeah. wasn't until later I put that in my pocket like, oh, that's a hell of a compliment. <laughs> like, yeah. Because let me tell you, yeah. when De Niro's in the movie, it's pretty clear who you're going <laughs> to fucking cut to. Yeah, it's a humongous compliment. It was to me. I didn't know how to take it. That's the sad thing that sometimes compliments, they bury you. I was like, I'm undeserving, <laughs> full of shame. When you did that scene, was there, oh my God, something special happened there? Well, that's where I finally found the word for it. Because I only know it from the feeling of doing it. And it is transcendence. And that's where you feel it, you know, where you're almost levitating. And you can feel it. I've had it in live shows with a certain synergy with the audience or everything popped off. And there's something you can't describe. and it was funny because somebody said after Cape Fear, they're like, whoa, you're going to be spoiled. 
And I had no idea what they meant because I thought, oh, wow, this this feels great. Now yeah. this will be like this all the time. I didn't, Ooh, yeah, 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 yeah. I didn't know. I didn't know Marty, <laughs> Jessica Lang, Nolte, De Niro. That was maybe you get it twice or three times in, in a career, if at all, you know. So yes. um, it's really special. Stay tuned for more Armchair Expert, if you dare. We are supported by BetterHelp. Listen, I understand that sometimes you want to keep things to yourself, process your emotions in your own time. But if you keep everything bottled up, it can have some serious consequences. I have therapy on Saturday. I'm really looking forward to it. I had therapy this morning. Yeah, you did. Yeah, and it put me in the greatest mood. We had a long, big day, and I just felt much better for having you were some. not to out you. You were a little grumpy going in. I was. I was. I was to be Rob specific. and I received some texts. Yeah, I was morning. locked out of my therapy setting, which is this attic. <laughs> But then you felt much better after. I felt much better. And I even made some apologies. Um, Talking things out can be so helpful. And if you want a safe space for that conversation, I recommend therapy. Check out BetterHelp if you've been thinking of trying therapy. It's entirely online, convenient, and flexible. It's also easy to get started. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. You can even switch therapists at any time for any reason for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash DAX today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash DAX. We are supported by Squarespace. Guys, we have a Squarespace website that's just gorgeous. That Wobby Wob, you uh, you built that yourself using all the templates, yeah? I sure did. Yeah, easy peasy? So easy. The best part about Squarespace is it's an all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. You can get discovered fast with integrated, optimized SEO tools, and you can choose from professionally curated layouts and styling options with Squarespace Blueprint. Plus, you can kickstart or update written content on any website, product description, or email with Squarespace AI. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial and save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain with the code DAX. We are supported by Taco Bell. Oh, man. We often do two recordings a day and we have this little nice lunch break that we enjoy and we're always craving something really yummy. Yes, something fresh, something high quality, something like the all new cantina chicken menu from Taco Bell, which is Mm. exactly that. Mm. It's so yummy. It has slow roasted chicken, the pico, that purple cabbage, and an avocado verde salsa sauce. Oh, delicious. Outrageous. The new cantina chicken tacos, burrito, and quesadilla are the perfect daytime choice. Try the new cantina chicken menu at Taco Bell now. So the other experience I must know about, though, is Natural Born Killers, because I, I think people forget, or probably Monica, who was born in 87, probably doesn't even remember. It was like a social <laughs> phenomenon. It was just on the news and shit. True. You know what I'm saying? Where it's like, 
Oh, fuck. It got banned. Cult- culture's unraveling because of this piece of art. Cool, I can dig that. <laughs> yeah, it has not happened to a bunch of things. Like, you can think of NWA and really in that top five from my childhood of, like, just it being perceived as a threat. That's the one thing I'm like, I hope this generation, oh, kids, why, go walk, watch Natural Born Killers, please. But yeah, it got banned, I believe, in the UK, a bunch of places. Why? So Natural Born Killers, Julia and Woody Harrelson play this couple that decide to just, they become serial killers and they're the heroes of our movie. And it was really a very, very artful exploration of pop culture and the effect of media on people and them wanting to be stars. And and they didn't give a fuck if they were stars because they were killing people. Mm. That that would be worth it. I mean, that was the message. Very but ahead of its time. Oliver Stone was holding up a magnifying glass to mainstream media and how they sensationalize, celebritize. I mean, now they know, don't put a killer on the front of your magazine. Don't print that piece of shit's suicide note. Yes, They only just started, stop saying these people's names, but I know some things you have to report. But at the time, there were these huge stories, the O.J. Simpson, the Lorena Bobbitt, which I know Oliver tagged that on in the end, a clip of all these news pieces. Yes, yes. I learned so much on that movie creatively, like to be dangerous. And Oliver was very encouraging of you going to your edge, like giving it, giving it all. It's layers of layers of like you could analyze it. So to answer the question, why was it banned? People were were looking at one tiny layer. There's also, am I remembering it correctly too, that it was really like a paradigm shift for Woody Harrelson? Yeah. You've grown up knowing Woody Harrelson is like a phenomenal dramatic actor. Yeah. But he was just a dumbass on Cheers yeah. until Natural Born Killers. Huge. And then you're like, oh, he's a hell of a dramatic actor. He's like scary. That, that, yeah. Yeah, he's dangerous. He's all these things. That all happened. That's a very brave casting choice for... Oliver at that time. It was, it was. Oliver was, I can't believe the words that I was going to like, he's a people person. Not true. But what I mean (laughs) is he wasn't, he liked to take chances. If you met and you guys had a good meeting, he was daring in the sense he's not going to go, oh, you didn't do this in your prior work. So thus you can't do it now. You know, I was an ingenue. I was a tiny, innocent, you know, the bat world and so for me it gave me a chance to flip that on its head and then after that I did a comedy a Nora Ephron comedy but it didn't hit so that would have been a great turn but nothing hit as strong as Natural Killers after that so for a good decade I was the is she crazy girl yeah yeah wow yeah Uh my first several movies I just played a dumbass and so I, I would meet people and they would be genuinely shocked that I wasn't really dumb. And then I thought, oh, I got to remember, like, people only know about you what they've seen. And it's not really their fault. I mean, I'm wanting them to recognize you got to be smart to be able to play dumb correctly. They're not thinking that. They meet me as a dumbass 10 times. And then you start realizing, like, oh, I I carry this thing with me. The thing I did for pretend it's kind of got infused a little bit with my real life persona. And that that's interesting. And there we are at our mythology embracing. So now that's the thing. You learn grace because I actually 
love people so much. By and large, people are lovely and interesting and funny. And and now with our things online and Instagram and the connectivity, that would have scared the bejesus out of me earlier. But I have to say, when I lost my dad three years ago, that's when I understand, oh, it, it takes a village. I literally would have the checkout person, you know, I lost my mom you know, four years ago. I was just having hugs with people because I needed that. It was a really wild thing because we're talking about early fame. I, I couldn't handle uh, energy and the attention. And, yeah. then, and then somehow I shifted and I was, well, not somehow, a lot of growth and work, but, and then you could embrace the, the power of the people. Well, you, and then you, you put a ton of energy, and I think you still do, right, into music. What was the appeal of it? The one thing, this, the only sad thing, but I know we don't live in our past, is I wished I would have picked up an instrument when I was a teenager. I wish I would have been writing songs because it would have helped me tremendously and maybe not smoke as much weed and then yeah, yeah. go off in that world. I don't know. Um, music is a soul expression, you can connect to the frequency of whatever emotions are dormant, whether it's your superhero self or an anger anthem song or a lost woman longing song. You know what I mean? You could sort of exercise this, this energy in a creative way that's really beautiful and um, productive. Yeah, it's inherently emotional, right? Music, as yes. opposed to like so many other mediums. Everybody's wired differently, but I know for me, music, it goes back to earth and your heartbeat and the, you know, the flow of yeah. the blood. And, you know, you could get into some trippy metaphysics stuff um, with it. Yeah, so when I finally got to collaborate, so someone would play guitar or bass or drums and I would write lyrics and melody. It was really interesting, like put a band together, I did a whole thing when I turned 30 and I was like, holy shit, I'm 30 and I didn't sing. And I got to say, I haven't done it in a few years now. I do. I get asked to sing with friends or for charity or friends bands. But for a while, that was my livelihood for six years. I had a band called The Licks, Juliet yeah. and The Licks. We were a ferocious, energetic rock band. <laughs> <laughs> and we played all over the world and at different festivals. Would you compare your lead singer persona to a character in a movie? Like, do you feel like you were a character? I don't at all. To me, on stage, it's, it's all my emotionality on 10. So right, right. To me, it's not a, a persona. It's actually... A side of you. I think so. And it's also a rejection of the conformity or the institution of Hollywood. I always wanted to take pictures after a show when you've uh -huh. been energized and, and feel you're electric and you're sweaty. And, you know, it's, a, it's sort of yeah. a response, a shedding of imagery, a breaking of the mold of, of that conformity, of that structure. Right. Okay, now, I know this much is true. Yeah. Immediately heard the Spandau Ballet song. Do you remember that song? This much is oh true. Oh my God, yes. <laughs> I know, I know, I know, I know. Does it have anything to do with that song? Oh, I'm laughing because 
They could not be more dissimilar. It's a very serious cinematic, what I think will be a tour de force for Mark Ruffalo again. One of our greats. God damn, I love him. He's ridiculously talented. But it's from a book. It's a six-part show, and the director described it as a six-hour movie. But it's really beautiful, rich family dysfunction and as someone searching for their identity. And then I'm this scholar and totally different. I love characters, so I love people different from myself. But my character is very funny because Mark comes to me, his character is Dominic, and he wants me to translate. I'm in linguistics. Translate a manuscript of his grandfather who's learning is very toxic. And he's trying to figure out more about his family. He comes to me. I'm a sort of narcissistic scholar girl with a chip on her shoulder. And we have some incredible, really good scenes that are good, meaning they were fun. Everything with Mark is honest. There have been people I've worked with that are bona fide amazing actors and they've won awards. And I've been watching them and I go, oh, they're kind of an island. They're doing that thing. And I love watching that thing. I'm not, not critical of it at all. Right. And then I've had the experience with some of them where it's like, oh, they drug me into their orbit and I really enjoyed it. Like they sucked me in. It wasn't just them performing. It was like they they enveloped me in their bubble. Yes. And that's a very fun feeling. And I love to believe Mark Ruffalo is one of the invite you into his bubble type of people. 100%. He is such what you're describing. He's such a giving person and as an actor makes it look, and I felt this way with De Niro, uh, so effortless. They just are who they are. So it makes it easier for you to assume your role. Yeah, it's almost as if they they believe their reality so strongly that you can buy into their reality as well. I think you and I are similar this way. I'm actually dying for the moment where I'm confused in the scene and I feel like I'm falling backwards and I actually have to catch myself and figure out my way out. Like, that's what I'm living for. Okay, this is the thing. And if it can be an analogy in life is dig into the discomfort. And if we can get into that and find the revelation, the freedom and the whoa in it, that's the creative Joy, I remember this Ruffalo scene, my character, it was so weird to do in the middle of it. It was like, guys, am I bad acting? I feel like I I, I feel so funny. <laughs> and they're both, Derek and Mark were like, no, she's bad acting. The character yeah. oh, is yeah, being yeah. pretentious, trying to get attention. Like she's being full of shit. Anyway. Yeah. It should make you feel uncomfortable, awkward, humiliating. And I dig that. It's funny. I do too. And I almost think it has something to do with the fact that in general, in life, I'm a control freak. And so because I'm so controlling in real life, this is the one place in life where I love being completely out of control and not knowing what's going to happen. Isn't that interesting? That duality. I'm very similar. And Brad Wilk, who I've been with for four years, we've discussed this because I want to schedule. I want to have an overview of the next months. Also, we both travel and we have all this stuff. And he was like, yeah, I don't, I don't really do that. You know, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it's like, I just play it by ear. And I was like, oh my God. 
Yeah. So, you know, you figure it out. You know, it's so weird us artists because you're like morning to night, you have this schedule and the call sheet and this and your per diem. And then you get off that and you get a little who am I? So I try to implement some structure now. Yeah, um, yeah. A call yeah. sheet for your life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then it's funny is like I crave it. And then some most of my favorite moments are like total chaos. Don't know. Lost. Getting lost. Yeah, it's like, this is ironic. I, I love being lost. And then that's my ultimate fear. Yes. I have a whole story about getting lost in the woods. My little sister, I would think I was like 11. So she would have been nine or something. And we're skiing and we go along the side, these little less carved out paths in the trees. Yeah, yeah. We went in, we got lost and we were like stuck on the side where there's these huge pockets of snow. If you have one misstep, we couldn't hear the main path anymore. We couldn't hear people. And we're these little kids, you know, I'm like, let's keep going. And then you, you finally <laughs> Yeah, you hear, find out what you're made of. <laughs> yeah, and we're these little wee kids. So then we hear voices. I'm like, we've salvation, we hear it. So we get out, we get down to the bottom. You're sweating and you're like, whew, we almost died as little kids. And then yeah. we go back up the hill and I turn to my sister and I'm like, you wanna do it again? <laughs> of course. Getting yeah, lost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, I am, I gotta say, I've been seeing some trailers and advertisements on HBO for I Know This Much Is True, and I'm very, very, very excited to see it. I can't believe you stuck the spanned out ballet song in my head, because now that's what I'm hearing. Yeah. <laughs> I know this. It's a real throwback. Yeah. <laughs> well, Julia, just as fun as the time I had dinner with you, and I hope to cross paths with you again soon. And I adore you. I'm grateful you were willing to talk to us for so long. This was fantastic. And I'm going to give Ethan a big hug from you and vice versa. He says hello. Wonderful. And I got to listen to his podcast. What's the name of it again? American Glutton. You'll American love it. American Glutton. All right. Mad love. Bye. All right. Be good. Stay tuned for more Armchair Expert, if you dare. We are supported by Intuit, the technology platform that builds your financial confidence. There's some things that school doesn't really teach you, like how to handle the financial world. I mean, look, I did 16 years of school and I didn't have a single class on accruing debt or a hole that that puts you yeah, on. Yeah, they There's don't kind of teach you that. No effort made whatsoever. If you want more financial knowledge, now is a great time to learn with Intuit for Education program. It has free, easy-to-use resources like getting a car loan with Credit Karma simulations, understanding taxes with TurboTax lessons, and even learning to run a business with QuickBooks simulations. Check out Intuit's free resources today at intuit.com slash education. Intuit, that's I-N-T-U-I-T dot com slash education. We are supported by Wayfair. Home should be your happy place, a space where you can relax and just enjoy yourself, whatever that looks like for you. Whether you want the ultimate man cave, a cozy Victorian-inspired nook for reading, an area for family movie night filled with all things retro or something else. And if you need help creating that space, I recommend Wayfair. It's the place to shop for everything home, from sofas to dining tables, beds, rugs, wall art, and more. I bought a KitchenAid... Mixer? Mixer on Wayfair. You can really get anything on there. And I'm helping a friend 
redo his living room and we just you're just on way for nonstop. yep yeah it's one-stop shop it is they have fast free shipping they have everything you need for your home inside and out they have a huge selection of home goods and a variety of styles whatever you're into wayfair is the go-to destination to help bring your vision to life every style is welcome in the waberhood visit wayfair.com or get the wayfair mobile app that's w-a-y-f-a-i-r.com wayfair every style every home we are supported by new balance whether you're going for your first ever jog around the park getting ready for a marathon or even picking up the pace on the last stretch before you get home if you run you're a runner whether you need shoes for comfort, stability, or race day speed, they've got you covered. Because the only right way to run is your way. New Balance. Run your way. Visit newbalance.com running to learn more. And now my favorite part of the show, the fact check with my soulmate, Monica Padman. Okay, so since we talked to Juliette Lewis, I watched I Know This Much Is True on HBO. Uh-huh. And I can't believe I'm about to say this. I've never seen a movie with Mark Ruffalo where Mark Ruffalo isn't the most intriguing element, no matter what it is. Yeah. He's so phenomenal. He is. She blows is, him out of the water. I mean, she is incredible wow. in this. Kristen and I, we were around like 10 different little choices. Wow. I mean, she is so on another level. That's awesome. Yeah, she was incredible. I mean, she like in the middle, I think I told you this, in the middle of like talking in a scene, she's eating and then she spits some of her food out in her napkin just really casually. And it's all it is is real. Like there's, it's she's not scene steely. She's not like overly busy. She's just like, Oh my God, I'm spying on somebody. Mm, that's so It's kind of next level natural real acting. So it, cool. Yeah, it was really mind blowing. Yeah, I'm glad she got that role. After we recorded with her, I really want to watch Natural Born Killers. Yeah. Really yeah. bad. Yeah. Would you rewatch it? You know, it, the movie's like an acid trip. It's not something I, I necessarily desire to ever see again. Okay. Also, as she pointed out, it was such a trial of pop culture. Yeah. That I do wonder how it aged. Like it was really very profound when it came out yeah. and groundbreaking. Yeah. But now I wonder. I, I just don't know. But yes, I would. Okay. I would try it. You know, Tarantino wrote it. I did know that. I think he got in a fight at a bar with somebody over this movie, Tarantino. Okay. Because he also wrote True Romance. Mm-hmm. I don't think he had a problem with that one. He had a problem with one of these movies, and I think it was Natural Born Killers. And I was. think he got in a fight. Oh, you know, for sure. Well, he disowned himself from it. Oh, he did? Yeah. The film is based on an original screenplay by Tarantino that was heavily revised by Stone writer David Velaz and associate producer Richard Rutowski. Tarantino received a story credit, though he subsequently disowned the film. After Tarantino attempted to publish his original screenplay to Natural Born Killers as a paperback book, as he had done with his scripts for True Romance and his own directorial efforts, Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction, the producers of Natural Born Killers filed a lawsuit against Tarantino, claiming that when he sold the script to them, he had forfeited the publishing rights. Ooh. Eventually, Tarantino was allowed to publish his original script. He disowned the film saying, I hated that fucking movie. If you like uh, my uh, stuff, uh, don't watch that uh, movie. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Wow, wow, wow. Does it have a list of producers on that movie? I want to look us up. Yeah, look it up. Okay, okay. We're getting somewhere. 
Yeah, Don Murphy. Okay, who's that? I think Don Murphy's the one who originally optioned that, which got the ball rolling mm-hmm. and gave him control of that. He famously discovered McConaughey in a bar. He was uh. in town doing the Linklater movie, Dazed and Confused, oh. and met McConaughey at a bar and was like, this guy should play wow. someone in the movie. And, and he did. <laughs> and then he became a star. Wow. My boyfriends are in that. Just are one. They both? No, just Ben Affleck's okay. in it. Anywho, I'm pretty sure that Tarantino got in a physical altercation with Don Murphy, post-Natural Born Killers, maybe in Sundance or something. Something exciting. Some kind of drama happened. Well, it sounds like he has a lot of bad (laughs) He he did not like how that was executed. (laughs) Don Murphy, Quentin Tarantino altercation. Oh, here we go. The suit stems from an incident that occurred October 22nd when Tarantino confronted Murphy in the West Hollywood restaurant ago. According to reports at the time, Tarantino struck Murphy several times before the scrap was broken up. Oh, my God. (laughs) Okay, yeah, Murphy sues Tarantino after talk show sesh. Oh, wow. So this didn't go well. (laughs) This did not go well. (laughs) Tarantino won $5 million assault claim. Oof. Ooh. That's an expensive. It's an expensive tantrum. It's an expensive. Yeah. When I worked with Burt Reynolds, he told this very long-winded story, and it was great. He was the best storyteller ever, and it involved him punching a director out. Oh, my God. Who, according to him, was abusive to the cast. Oh, okay. Uh, And then that director sued him, and he got $500,000 or something that was very monumental in the 70s. Yeah. And he said, it was worth every penny. (laughs) 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 That was the button to his story. (laughs) Oh, boy. Oh, boys. Oh, boys. (laughs) Okay, yeah, so where was it banned? It was banned in Ireland. Oh. When the film was first handed to the MPAA. Do you say MPAA or MPAA? MPAA. Okay. I'm going to say MPAA. Hong Kong. They told Stone they would give it an NC-17 unless he cut it. As such, Stone toned down the violence by cutting approximately four minutes of footage. Oh. And the MPAA re-rated the film as an R. Mm. Only four minute difference. Interesting. Uh. Okay, the film was banned completely upon release in Ireland. Really quick, have you heard these strategies that some people have had? I think Matt Stone and or. Trey Parker. Is that their Uh, name? Yeah, Matt Trey, yeah. Yeah. Apparently in that great puppet movie, they had like the sex orgy. And I think the sex orgy was like 20 minutes long. Oh, my God. Knowing that they were going to have to have something to barter with. And then there's been a couple cases of this where people put way too long of it in anticipating that that's what they would cut out. And then it made it. Oh, wow. I wish I could remember all the ones that that's that's happened to. But there's been a couple famous ones. But I do think... (laughs) I want to say that that Matt and Trey thing, they still were allowed to keep like seven and a half minutes or something. You know, it was very gratuitously long and apparently it was twice as long. Oh my God, that's hilarious. (laughs) It is really funny. I think all that shit was created, the MPAA, historically as a Red Scare stuff. Really? Yeah, I think basically the government was going to start cracking down on all the commies and then this was their solution to self-regulate so that the government wouldn't start regulating motion pictures. I think... You think? I think. <laughs> okay, Christmas Vacation, 30 years ago. It was 1989 it came out. 1989. So how many years ago was that? Well, you were two years old. 31 years ago, you were... No, I'm 32, right? Yeah, but 20... Uh, 31. 89. 
2020 is 21. That's right. But you were born in 87. Yeah. But we're coming up on my 30th. Yeah, yeah, we are. We're really Knocking close. Knocking at the door. Yeah. It feels like such a nothing birthday, 33. Everything between 30 and 35 is nothing. Yeah. And then when you get to 35, you go, ooh. Yeah. I'm, I'm closer to 40 than I'm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's when it gets serious. Oh, boy. Okay. Yeah. Okay, I don't want to think about it. Okay, back to Juliet. Yeah, yeah. She said that the first five years, you kind of solidify your attachment style. Oh, oh, oh. I'm super interested in attachment styles and stuff because we talked about it a bit on Monica and Jess. And so I've been wanting to read some books on it. I know nothing about that. There's this theory, this attachment theory, that you develop in your childhood attachments to your primary care, to your caregivers. And then that sort of replicates in life. All future attachments? Yes. Like how you attach. And there's different kinds. Real love addict-y for me. Let's find yours. Okay. 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 Attachment theory is a psychological, evolutionary, and ethological theory concerning relationships between humans. The most important tenet is that young children need to develop a relationship with at least one primary caregiver for normal social and emotional development. The theory was formulated by psychiatrist and psychoanalyst John Bowlby. Within attachment theory, infant behavior associated with attachment is primarily the seeking of proximity to an attachment figure in stressful situations. Parental responses lead to the development of patterns of attachment. These in turn lead to internal working models, which will guide the individual's feelings, thoughts, and expectations in later relationships. Okay, so there's four kinds. Okay. Hold on, let me also look at my picture. My picture was really good. I don't know how a picture is going to play into this, so I'm kind of excited. <laughs> a photograph, or, well, or a, it's or like a, a graph. A graph, yeah, okay. it's a graph, and it's um, it was helpful for me. Okay. Okay. The first one is a secure or autonomous attachment. The second is avoidant or dismissing. Third is anxious, preoccupied, and four is disorganized, unresolved. So I'm going to get a little deeper, okay? Yeah, please do. Now I'm in my graph. Those, uh, to me, weren't great descriptors because I don't understand what any of those categories mean <laughs> in, just intuitively okay. from the description. Please. I'm really sorry. Okay, secure. Can trust fairly easily, is attuned to emotions, can communicate upsets directly. If uh, they're upset, I guess they communicate that oh, directly. Okay. That was not a good way of phrasing it. But leads with cooperative and flexible behavior in relationships. Huh. Okay, anxious, has a sensitive nervous system, struggles communicating, needs directly, tends to act out when triggered, i.e. makes partner jealous. Oh. Three, avoidant dismissive, downplays importance of relationships, is usually extremely self-reliant. Uh-oh. <laughs> can yeah. become more vulnerable when there is a big crisis. Oh, wait, wait, give me the title of that one again. That one's Avoidant Dismissive. Avoidant Dismissive. Okay, that felt the most... Like you? Yeah. Okay. Avoidant Fearful is the last one. More dependent in relationships than Avoidant Dismissive. Okay. Strongly Fears Rejection. Oh. Has low self-esteem. Has high anxiety in relationships. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Which one do you think you are? Can you be a mix of these things? I'm I'm sure. Because I'm sure I have the first one that sounds... Secure? Yeah. My mom was a good mom. I know. But she was busy as hell. I have been that third option in relationships for sure. I'm super self-reliant and 
I think I am sending a subtle message that I'll be fine without you, mm-hmm. whether I'm intending it or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what to say about that. Yeah. I, I know that, oh man, mine like started in elementary school. Like I had a girlfriend in elementary school. Yeah. No one liked me. This girl with thick glasses and I were an item and we brought each other <laughs> treats on the holidays. Oh, yeah. Connie, cute. I want to say her name. Oh my was. God, you don't yeah. even remember her name. I that's don't. definitely avoidant. But she, <laughs> you know, we were both, we were not the pick of the litter. Sure. You know, we weren't Trevor and Amy. It's just, <laughs> we weren't. And then, so all of elementary, very much desiring girlfriends, yeah. had crushes on a lot of girls. Sure. Didn't get any of the girls I liked. Mm-hmm. Then junior high, like a light switch, all these really popular girls started liking me, the eighth graders, yeah. when I was in sixth grade. Yeah. And that kind of changed everything. And then I was reckless in a kid in a candy store and cheated because I wanted the attention from everyone at all times. Yeah. And I, I just did that. And then high school, more of that, but then developing into more responsible with other people's feelings. Yeah. Still could have been better. And then three very distinct long-term relationships that have ended up with me here so i know it's hard to weed out what i was predestined to be and how i've evolved it's kind of like that um the engram test it's like who you were that you overcame right right who you are today yeah i think you can come in and out of these i don't think it's like a death sentence or a yeah it's not like so rigid but it is what your neurons are used to when you're little what you're receiving from your parent is how you manage yeah. Uh, I want to hear more explanation of the childhood aspect, you know, um, like a deeper description of h- how the parent and child interact, especially for the category that I, I, I think I might be involved. Let's see if I can find more. Okay, here's here's another graph. Okay. okay. My kids were so open to babysitters and stuff. Yeah. There was only a couple they disliked. That's true, but they've been exposed to that for from a very early age. Yeah. So yeah. maybe that has to do with it. Like uh-huh. also remember, I do remember when they were really little, especially Lincoln, when you guys would leave, we would say all the time to them, parents always come back. Yeah, we always come back. Yeah. So but there wasn't was like these big epic that. blowouts that kids have about their parents leaving. No. That I see other parents dealing with. That's true. Yeah. But again, I, I think it's just because they had a lot of people yeah. in their life. Carly was, was there good. from day one. Yeah. And you were there. Um, Grandma just brought these videos and we watched them. Yeah. And um, it, you're, there's a video of you washing Lincoln in the sink. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And she's under two. Wow. Yeah. Do you remember Miriam? She's like the baby whisperer. And, right. And occasionally... Like if Kristen was working or needed a break or something, she would do like a night nurse situation. Right. Like maybe for a week we had her. She's lovely. She We were like totally took her style of like when you'd pull the pacifier, when you do all these things. Yeah. We were, we were all in on her technique. And yeah. for us it worked. Like yeah. the kids slept through the night really quick and yeah. she put us on a schedule, blah, blah, blah. Um, I've never told you this, but one time she pulled me aside and she said, and you know, she had a very thick accent. She was like, mm, um, Monica's not wiping the baby's butt good enough. No. Are you serious? Uh, yes. Wait, I don't even remember ever being in the same vicinity as her. You Are you sure were, it was me? No, it was 100% you. And um, <laughs> she was like, she doesn't wipe the baby's butt good enough. And I was like, huh, that's a bummer because Monica's my favorite babysitter. What? Oh, I my God. Like, Should I tell her to wipe her so butt better? 
I'm I like, hate I, this story. And I remember, well, that's why I never told it to you. But now so many years later and you're still here. But you, I never even saw her. I've never even met her. How you have. She you, you just don't remember. Because when she told me you were there babysitting, she had showed up but was it to Delta? Like do the night. It had to be Delta because she was, Lincoln was out of diapers by the time you. No, she wasn't. Oh, but okay. why would I be there if she was there? Because you were in the day. Night. Not really. I only, for Lincoln, I really only came at night. It was mainly your just date nights. Uh. But with Delta, yes. But I don't ever remember Miriam there with Delta. She might have done like a handful of sleepovers with Delta. Wow. Anywho, I remember <laughs> her telling me that, me thinking like, okay, well, I just got to be on high alert if you change the diaper. Like, It doesn't even sound like me because I use like 45 wipes on those kids. I didn't necessarily believe it. You know, these some of these people are territorial and no one's good enough. Yeah, this sounds crazy. Yes, yes, yes. yes. I, it doesn't... It, it was nothing to me. Well, it could have been my whole life. She <laughs> needs to be careful. I don't think that's true. It's probably not true. I mean, it's true that that happened. Well, that no, she, I, I believe she that. She told me that. Believe that. that I don't happened. want Miriam to think. I could give a fuck about Miriam. <laughs> I hate her. That it just, I love it Miriam. Can't be true. Y- if yeah, you I think know. of my personality, well, I know it's very inconsistent with your personality, but. I'm sure I have wiped their butts before and not gotten it all and thought I did. And then if Miriam was the next person to look there, she might think I don't clean the baby's butt good. I don't know. Okay, but here's there's so many questions, okay? One. Okay, I shouldn't have told you this. No, you, yeah, I'm glad you told me. Um, if she saw the baby's butt after me, uh-huh. it would have been post-poop. So unless she's just looking at Lincoln's butt randomly, then of course it's not going to look clean because the baby had just pooped. Or sometimes the diapers would fall off as she played. That would have to be so extreme. I am not going to try to defend how Miriam knew this or discovered this. I I simply am just telling you that at some point she said, Monica not wiping the baby's butt good enough. (laughs) And I was like, okay, I'll make sure she does. Oh, my God. Wow, wow, wow. (laughs) I just don't think it's possible. I just don't. Well, I, I Especially have, with I, you guys, I, think I know for very, sure there's no way. I was so meticulous. I was so scared uh-huh. of <laughs> losing that job. There's just no way. Uh, I hate her. Oh my goodness. I should have never said anything. I thought enough time, like statue of limitations, because it was over five years ago. Still. Listen. It is possible that I have left poop on their butts. Okay, it could have so, happened. Okay, so let's say it happened one time. Yeah. Then that's not enough A for pattern. her to say. Right. And it definitely wasn't something I did all the time. No. Well, I don't know that she was suggest- – I don't think she'd ever been around you enough to make that assessment. Okay, so I exactly. I think she just found – who knows? I, I again. Okay, okay. I okay. All right, all right. Um, okay, so, <laughs> so secure. Okay. But are they suggesting it's the child's – bonding style no no right the parents are it, it's what yeah it's exactly. the response to however the parents are parenting. correct it's sad and i totally understand it but it is sad that there are many parents that maybe didn't want the baby i know you know or or, or wanted it and didn't underestimated what it entailed and were very young and were very stressed with work but yeah yeah it's really sad okay well this is another graph that's kind of interesting okay okay 
Secure attachments, 65% of the generalized U.S. population have this. Secure attachments, according to this. The child's general state of being. Secure, explorative, happy. Mm. Mother's responsiveness to a child's signals and needs. Uh-huh. Quick, sensitive, consistent. Okay. Fulfillment of the child's needs. Believes and trusts that his, her needs will be met. Okay. All right. Avoidant, 20% of you of Americans. The child's general state of being not very explorative, emotionally distant. Mother's responsiveness to her child's signals and needs, distant, disengaged. Oh. Fulfillment of the child's needs, why the child acts the way it does, subconsciously believes that his, her needs probably won't be met. Oh. Well, the truth is none, n- neither you or I have a single memory before four years old. When so, all this happened. Yeah. So there's really no way for us to know what our parents did. But if you have some of these isms, you can kind of reverse engineer, kind of forensically figure out how your mom did you. I guess. But also, like, <laughs> I think their parenting still goes on. Like, I still remember how they parented once I do have memories. I don't think yeah. they did a big shift at age five when I got memories. You right, know? right. Okay. The third one is ambivalent 10 to 15%. Child's general state of being anxious, insecure, angry. Mother's responsiveness to her children's needs, inconsistent, sometimes sensitive, sometimes neglectful. Mm. Fulfillment of the child's needs, while the, why the child acts the way it does, cannot rely on his or her needs being met. Uh, oh, interesting. Okay. Uh, uh-huh. Last one, disorganized, 10 to 15%. Child's general state of being depressed, angry, completely passive, non-responsive. Oof. Mother's responsiveness to her child's signals and needs, extreme erratic, frightened or frightening, passive or intrusive. Uh. And then fulfillment of the child's needs, severely confused with no strategy to have his or her needs met. Oh. It's interesting. Oh, happy birthday. (laughs) (laughs) It's good to know. I think people- It's just heartbreaking. It is heartbreaking. But it's good to know- because if we're replicating these patterns, it's helpful to know why you're feeling the way you're feeling and that it could have nothing to do with the other person. Could it be just simply about your attachments? Well, I don't think it ever has anything to do with the other person. <laughs> I mean, Well, sometimes 80%. it does. Yeah, yeah. So you think you're what? I don't, you don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I, well, I think when I was younger, I, I identify a little bit with that third category of being self-reliant and right. I guess kind of ambivalent. Although, I don't know. I'm just very love addict That That I can. Yeah. I remember. If anyone I was with was getting full-blown attention. I have friends who ignore their girlfriends. I hate it. I find it to be one of the most uncomfortable versions of like a pathology in a relationship to be around mm-hmm. when one person's ignoring the other yeah that is funny i mean i notice when we're in groups and stuff the the levels of closeness people have physical closeness that couples have oh uh-huh and like proximity yeah like how often they're touching mm-hmm. or sitting on each other's laps or whatever and you guys have the most oh really yeah oh Oh, that's nice. When we're all sitting together, mm-hmm. you guys are normally touching. Mm-hmm. And most of the other friends are on the on the scale somewhere. Uh-huh. But I would say you guys, majority of the time you're touching. Mm-hmm. 
And then I'd say like the next level and they are in and out of touching. Uh-huh. And then there's couples who, who don't sit next to each other. So I'm just really aware of what other people's uh, physical proximities are. And it's definitely a scale, but I would say you're on the far end of the, the scale. The touchy scale. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Well, if you see me with my mom. I know. Yeah, I virtually lay in her lap yeah. every time she's around. It's really sweet that you still do that. <laughs> I just pray my daughters do that. Because at night I pet their ear really gently. And I pet their ear exactly how my mom pets my ear, even now as an adult. And I think, I don't know if they like it. Because they're just I'm kids. Sure, they love it. They're like whatever, but I'm like, but I hope this will come to symbolize security and that they'll desire it when they're older. Do you think you desire what you have, or do you desire something you didn't have? Uh, well, my mom was very touchy with me, and so was my dad. My dad was a big snuggler yeah. and a hugger and a kisser and a hand holder. Right. I right. think I'm very much like my dad. My dad was very like, again, passionate to whoever was in front of him mm -hmm. and just dropped the ball on making sure the right people were in front of him throughout his life. Right. <laughs> yeah, and all my criticisms of my father, I would be so full of shit to pretend he wasn't like incredibly loving. He yeah. was super expressive. He, there was yeah. a lot of things about him that were really spectacular. Um, That's all. That's everything? Yeah. Well, I, I find her intriguing. Me and too. I, yeah, yeah. And I'm glad she did her show. I don't think she does much press. Yeah, she was lovely. All right. Love you. Love you. Love you.